Welcome to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. Uh, we have a special treat. I have a guest named Bill Kerwin, and Bill is the former librarian at Western Carolina University, but he's been living in Chapel Hill for four or five years and uh, comfortable both places. But um, he refuses to accept a designation as being an expert on horse racing, but he loves it, <laughs> and he'll talk about it a little bit, and I've learned a lot talking to him. So, uh, Bill, welcome to uh, Who's Talking. Glad to be here. Well, um, let's let's talk about or get started uh, with uh, with horse racing and with thoroughbred racing, and we do it in the context of having a season of interesting Kentucky Derbies, and then the follow up to the Kentucky Derby when the Kentucky Derby winner was trying to get established, and then recently, um, well, all through the year there are different events. Well, you, Let's talk about, can we talk about the Triple Crown first? Sure. What happened this year, starting with the Kentucky Derby? Well, uh, a long shot one, a really long shot. I mean, it paid more than $100 for a $2 bet uh, named Rich Strike, a, uh, a horse whose trainer and jockey were what you would call minor leaguers. Uh, is, is that a... Is that a, your term or is that that's a my race, term. That, that's not a racing term? No, but but they they had they had only uh, he had owned the trainer had only trained horses that competed on small tracks, and the same with the jockey had only ridden horses at small tracks, and so this was their first not only their first Kentucky Derby, it was their first race uh, in a major at a major racetrack. Well, how did they get into the Kentucky Derby? You can't just be a minor leaguer and automatically. I don't know whether you get a bid or you have to. Well, they did races. race. They did race some qualifying races, and they managed to um, amass enough points to get in the Derby. But they got in the Derby at the very last minute. They were they were, they were not a, supposed to even be in the Derby. Uh, but they were lined up to be next. But they the were game. lined up to be next in the uh, the the morning before the Derby, Friday, uh, at at fact, actually at nine a.m. in the morning, the trainer was notified that uh, Rich Strike would no longer be protected by guards provided by Churchill Downs, the racetrack, because he would not be in the race. And uh, so the trainer started making preparations to ship Rich Strike to another racetrack. Half an hour later, the trainer was told the horse would be in the derby because another horse had been scratched, or, and scratched is the term for being, for being withdrawn. And so the horse got in the derby at the very last minute. And uh, that was... Uh, quite an upset in the Derby. Then we had the Preakness following. Well, let's just talk about it. Talk, yeah. talk some more about it. Um, so, uh, how did people explain that? Did, did they say that this had never happened before? That an oh, it had happened won? once before, but but in a long time. But ago. in the 148 years the Kentucky Derby has run, it's only happened once before that a horse at such odds won. Uh, so, did that make uh, that horse rich? Rich, 
Rich Strike. Rich Strike, a favorite for the next race. Uh, Which, he, Rich, the trainer and the owner decided not to run Rich Strike in the next race in the Triple Crown which is the Preakness. Preakness. And the reason being that the Preakness is only two weeks after the Derby. And most trainers uh, want to have four weeks between races to give the horse after a race time to rest and and refresh and come back. And uh, that's once... One of the things that's made the Triple Crown so difficult to win is that you have the Derby, and then two weeks later you have the Preakness, and then three weeks later you have the Belmont. And trainers are not used to that kind of schedule. And so the trainer and the owner just said, well, we're going to skip the Preakness, and we'll race in the Belmont. And that way our horse will be rested enough. Well, if if that is the way... Many uh, trainers look at things that the two weeks is too short on a very competitive. Why don't they adjust it? Well, I mean, the other the why? Man, why haven't trainers in the past done what this trainer did? I guess that's the better way to ask the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, there's a lot of money and a lot of prestige to winning the Preakness, and uh, it's pretty. And you're automatically in when you win the Kentucky Derby. And it's uh, and you're all also you're treated like royalty in Baltimore when you go to the Preakness. You've won the Derby, and uh, it's very hard for an owner who actually makes the ultimate decision, not the trainer. The, it's very hard for the owner to turn down being a celebrity for a few days, even if the horse doesn't win. You know, he's going well, into I'm, Baltimore I'm being a celebrity, and uh, that's hard to turn down. And uh, and if the horse wins, of course, the money is very good, too. So uh, it, that doesn't happen very often. There is a push to move the Preakness uh, farther away from the Derby. And if enough trainers do what this trainer did, I'm sure that that'll will happen. happen. Someday, maybe not. Well, um, so— uh, how did the Preakness turn out? And who, who, well, who came up to the table to take the place of the— A horse named Early Voting won. And uh, I might say I had $2 on Early Voting, and I cashed a ticket. <laughs> and how, so, much, how much did you get? <laughs> I don't remember. I think I got about— $8 or— Oh, $9? I think I got more than that. I think I got about $16 for $2. Well, that's pretty something good. Something like uh, that. Well, well what was—who uh, were the other horses that— well, the horses Epicenter, which finished second in the Derby, and Zandon, which finished third in the Derby, were in the um, Preakness, and uh, they uh, they didn't win. And uh, so, uh, early voting, as it when we can we move on to the Belmont. From the well, I, yes, but let me. But um, I want you to explain to us. Surely, if you won the Kentucky Derby, you'd have an invitation to go compete in the Preakness. But were all of the all of the favorites in the Kentucky Derby also invited to the Preakness, or did some of them, because of poor performance in the Kentucky Derby, 
not get an invitation? And if all that's true, how do you get an invitation to the Preakness? Well, first of all, you 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 have to be nominated for the Preakness by your owner, so you have to pay a fee to get into the Preakness. Oh, it okay. isn't by invitation. You pay a fee, and you, there are 20 horses that run in the Derby, and they're only usually in the Preakness maybe 10 or 12 horses. Mm -hmm. So there's automatically going to be several horses. Most of the horses that run in the in the Derby do not show up for the Preakness. They, so, they, they figured they'd ran the Derby, and either the owner figures, well, I'll just hold out the horse till the Belmont because of that mm -hmm. two weeks, or they, uh, they just decide, okay, uh, I'm not going to run in the Preakness. So uh, you usually, but you usually do have uh, the horses that finished maybe in the top four, they get come back and run in the Preakness. Automatically accepted. You're nominated, but if you're nominated and you pay the fee, do you automatically get in? Well, or? if you're nominated and you finish anywhere in the top five in the Derby, you're going to you're going to go. And, you're going to be automatically in the Preakness. Well, there are probably some people who said, "I'm going to play this. I'm going to try to win the Preakness, and I'm not going to go to the Kentucky Derby." That's right. Early so, voting, which won the Preakness, was one of those horses. Uh, that they're, they're and how did early voting get a bid? Or did well, he didn't get he he was nominated and nominated by his owner Is by the owner, and, uh, and had a fee. record had a record that that indicated that he would be competitive. Well, before and, and you want to get down to the next race, but I tell you what, let's let's compromise. Let's take a break, and we'll come back. We'll talk okay. about both. Uh, the next race and about okay. a few other things. If you joined us late, um, my guest is Bill Kerwin. Bill is uh, a racing enthusiast. He refuses to accept the tab of uh, expert, but he, he is an expert. And we'll continue our conversation after this short break. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. If you joined us late, I'm visiting with Bill Kerwin. We're talking about horse racing. Uh, Bill is a former director of the library at Western Carolina, but he's been in Chapel Hill for four years now, three years, three years, and has um, enchanted all of us with his descriptions of of the inside of horse racing. And uh, I'm so interested that we haven't moved very far. We got to the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. What happened? But we haven't finished the Preakness. What happened there? Well, early voting uh, won, beat Epicenter and uh, beat Zandon. And uh, but uh, it's interesting that um, uh, those horses um, competed well, but they they didn't win. If, if you were buying a horse. Um, to take advantage of the rest of the horse's career, would you would and you could take either epicenter or early voting. Which one would you take? You mean if, well, I, if, if you, I had a, if I could buy a you, horse? Yeah, if you could get either one of them, but not both, which one would you take? And oh, why? I'd take epicenter in a heartbeat. Even though, okay. Yeah. And is epicenter then 
the horse of the— of Horse, the, he is the best—he's considered right now the leading three-year-old because uh, the, all the horses that run in the Triple Crown races are three-year-olds, and they only run against three-year-olds until uh, just about now. Uh, they're uh, running uh, against three-year-olds now, but come tomorrow, September 1st, uh, the three-year-olds will run against older horses. Uh, hor uh, just putting aside, uh, three-year-old horses are equivalent to about an 18-year-old in human life. Horse horses, horses don't, their skeletons don't fully mature until they're six years old. And uh, so these are really adolescents who are racing in the Triple Crown races. Uh, and as I said, they'll, they'll start racing against older horses tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you say that the, the three-year-olds have bodies that haven't quite, they're adolescents, mm. they haven't quite. But now, can a three-year-old run faster than a six-year-old? Or, is it the, or does, does this increased uh, maturity bring with it speed, too? I am not that much of an expert to say whether the three-year-old could run faster than a six-year-old, but I do know that from the little I've read that you can't wait until six years old to start training a racehorse. It's, it's like humans. You, you need to exercise those muscles that are used in racing from, from the time they are, uh, well, three-year-olds about the latest you can wait. But you really should start training a racehorse at at three year old at th three years old, and uh, or really even earlier. Yeah, or even really earlier. But one of your other um, strong feelings is that maybe two year olds are too young to be racing. Uh, yes, they don't race two year olds in the British Isles or in Europe, and I don't think they should race two year olds in the. United States. Cigar, which was a great racehorse in the 1990s, won 16 straight races. Never raced as a two-year-old. Uh, American Pharaoh is very uh, lightly raced as a two-year-old. And uh, so I just feel that they shouldn't race two-year-old horses. Well, there's a have you said all you will say about the third race? We haven't even talked about it, have we? The Belmont. Talk, what happened there? Well, in the Belmont, a horse named Mo Donegal, which had raced in the Derby and come in fourth and skipped the Preakness, raced in the Belmont and won the Belmont. Mo Donegal... Uh, did not well. That's who won the the Belmont. I was what I was about to say was getting ahead of ourselves. The the um, the race that was just held last weekend at Saratoga, called the Travers, which is sometimes called the Summer Derby, is um, 
usually the winner of the Belmont runs in the Traverse uh, because it's a race for three-year-olds. It's the last big race for three-year-olds. The only reason Mo Donegal wasn't in the Travers was because he injured his shin slightly, and so they've held him out. And he'll, but he'll be racing in a couple more months. But Mo Donegal, the winner of the Belmont, did not race in in the Travers. So you had three different winners. You had a you had a, a different winner for the Derby, a different winner for the Preakness, and a different winner for the Belmont. Well, uh, what happens next? There's something called the Breeders' Cup. What's, yes. what's, what's that all about? Well, that's the first weekend in November, and this year it'll be at Keeneland. It's not at the same racetrack every year. And it's two days of racing of uh, horses from all over the world compete. And um, so these three-year-olds, all the horses we've mentioned, uh will probably, their owners and trainers will decide uh, which race they're going to enter in the Breeders' Cup because there are 14 different races. Now, and are these, uh, excuse me if you're interrupting me, but are these all still three-year-olds? Or they no, no, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're all ages. So this is, might be the first time that the uh, great three-year-olds are competing against their elder That's brothers correct. and sisters. That's correct. That was true in the case of American Pharaoh, for example. Uh, he, um, it was the first time he'd raced against older horses. And, and a lot of these horses uh, who we've mentioned will be in the Breeders' Cup Classic, I'm sure, which is the, That's the, the one race. with the highest purse. And it'll be the first time that they have, will have raced against older horses. Where does the purse come from? Well, in the Breeders' Cup, this is this is the payoff. If yeah. horse gets in, might have to pay to get in. Might have to pay a little bit. Yeah, and then, but if if the horse wins, there's a the, big. Oh, the, the yeah, the, the purses are very very large for every race. I mean, we're talking about five million dollar purses, and five million dollar purses, and I mean, I think the smallest purse in the Breeders' Cup is. Is uh, seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Now, um, I just assume that this these races are like other races in communities where it's not illegal to bet <laughs> on that. That there's some betting going on at the Breeders' Cup. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's just like every other uh, race, well, every other you know thoroughbred flat race in the U.S. But you got multiple races. Did you say seven or eight? Or oh, there's or, over two days. There'll be fourteen races. Fourteen races and. Yeah, oh. and they'll be on all sorts of. They'll be on turf. They'll be on the dirt, and there'll be horses for females, and there'll be horse. There'll be races at all different distances, six well, furlongs. Uh, so let's well let's talk about a, a mile, a mile and a quarter. There'll be a there'll be a turf race at a mile and a half, which is turf. A long not a track, not a dirt track, but they got a turf track up there. Yeah. To, um, so, so the horses. Some horses just run on dirt. Some run on turf. Isn't that? It sounds like it's too much. That there's too much going on there <laughs> to, to, uh, to keep the attention of uh, a race fan, a racing fan. I guess every racing fan would choose a race or two or a horse or two to follow and not try to bet on everything. Well, 
it depends on where you are. If you're at the track, I mean, you most most people don't go to the track every day. So they're at the track. Maybe that's their one time that year or the one time or maybe, you know, they only go a couple times. So when you're at the track, you're probably going to bet every race. Well, 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 I think you convinced me. You don't have to argue about that. You convinced me. Now, what about this is called – why is it called the Breeders' Cup? Because to to race in the Breeders' Cup, you have had to pay a nomination fee – and like a hundred thousand or oh no, you, you, they're much less than that. Maybe uh, I'm 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 not but, sure about this. I think the fee might be fifteen hundred dollars when you are when the when the horse is is born, and so the the breeders in this country who breed the racehorses are the ones who really um, got together and started this. Uh, Breeders' Cup. When a when a horse is born, a thoroughbred, it will only cost you fifteen hundred dollars to nominate your horse for the Breeders' Cup races. And I say Breeders' Cup races because once a horse is nominated, then that fee is paid. Then that horse could enter any one of those fourteen. Races, that would be two years later. Two or three years or three later. Years or later. maybe four years later, five years later, because so, you have older horses in here. But so the idea is that when that horse is sold by the breeder, that horse is automatically paid the fee for the breeder's cup, which is an attraction for people who are buying racehorses. It's, it's, help me with this, but it's, most of the horses who pay this fee never, are not going to work never, out. Never go in the breeders' But cup. if you do have a horse that you think is going to be a star, if you've paid the fee, uh, you, you, instead of paying uh, what the current fee would be, which would be much higher, you, right? You're yeah. The in. longer you wait to the longer you wait to pay that fee, the higher the fee is until. If you if you wait, let's say your horse let's say your horse doesn't really blossom until the horse is a four year old, and you haven't and it hasn't been nominated for the Breeders' Cup. Well, it may cost you. Uh, I'm I'm really I hope I'm right about this. I could be wrong. I think it'll cost you somewhere between forty and fifty thousand dollars to nominate well, your horse. And is that money? Make the prize that, money? That money makes part of the prize money. There's also almost every race is sponsored by somebody. Long Jeans, for example, the watch company mm-hmm. sponsors one, one, one of the races, races and uh, various manufacturers will sponsor. Now, is the so if you're if you're a horse <laughs> and you're uh, you paid at at birth, uh, yeah. M- Minimal fee, you'll say $1,500. And can you choose then when you would exercise yes. the option? You can yes, exercise yes. So as, as, long as, you're, as you're, long as you're nominated. But, but one time. But I now I don't know the answer might, to that. Might, might be DJ, I really we'll don't know if that only gets you in <laughs> once or not. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Now, why don't we hear more about the Breeders' Cup? It sounds like a fascinating and really an integral part of the racing experiences. But we are focused on these three triple crown races where it's actually not all that interesting as having 
thousands of horses lined up to— That is absolutely true. And there are a lot of great races in the fall that are conducted for uh, horses that are uh, wonderful races at Aqueduct and Belmont and out in the, at the West Coast and Del Mar and Santa Anita Racetrack that the general public never hears about. But racing fans know about. The racing fans, <laughs> some racing fans do. If you join us late, I'm talking to one of the greatest uh, racing fans. Bill Kerwin, and he and I will be right back. Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. If you joined us late, we're talking about horse racing, and we're talking about it with a guy, Bill Kerwin, who refuses to be labeled an expert, only a very enthusiastic fan of horse racing, but he's teaching us a lot. So uh, I won't call you an expert, but I will call you a teacher, Bill Kerwin, and thanks again for joining us. Well, uh, you've taken us through uh, really the beginning of the the year for the uh, six-year-old horses, beginning with the uh, Triple Crown races, and then um, uh, later on the uh, Breeders' Cup. Right. And I, I will mention that after the Breeders' Cup, there's a horse race run at the end of January in um, Florida at Gulfstream Park called Pegasus. And the it's one of the richest uh, races in the world. Not the richest, but one of the richest purchase, purses. And it is for uh, horses that are four-year-olds and, and older— and uh, then after that race, there's a race run in Dubai and uh, in February. And that sort of completes the season for the older horses. Those are the, those are the two races that are run, one in the end of January and one in February, that um, are getting more and more attention. Well, well, we're moving along fast, but um, I'm interested in money. And so we've got these horses. They're all proven to be pretty good horses. And they've got uh, the three-year-olds have got a little bit of a career in front of them. Yes. But the other – somebody told me that the way that the people really strike it rich is not in racing but in breeding. That's where the money is. Explain – how that is, and can a horse be both a racer and a breeder? Can well, in times past, they would sometimes, uh, when they ran horses uh, to a greater age than they do now, sometimes horses would be uh, raced, and then when they were old enough to breed, they would breed them, and then they might bring them back to the races. They don't do that anymore. I haven't done that in years. Uh, and so now, once 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 the owner uh, decides to retire the horse, uh, then the horse, if it if it had a good racing career, will will uh, be uh, go to what they call stud. Will will stand at a breeding farm for a stud, and the the stud fees depend on how what a successful career has had. For example, there is a 
there is a horse now in standing in Kentucky named Into Mischief. His stud fee is $250,000 a pop. So, and he can be bred more than once a day. Now, the breeding season is only a few months, like generally from the very end of January through the beginning of May, because that's when the females are in heat. And so, but during that period, uh, into mischief, uh, you know, could could be mounting two mares a day. Uh, and does he mount them, so, or do they do it artificially? Or oh no, it's not allowed. Our thoroughbred racing, it, it's there's no artificial insemination. It has to be. A, you have to develop. A you have to relationship. You have to cover the mare, as they say. <laughs> well, and so, um, the, 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 and so there's big money in breeding. This is both in the stud fees, and then when if you have an animal that maybe maybe you didn't have a racehorse that did all this, but you you want to let's say you want to buy a horse and get into racing. Well, uh, there are two big auctions. There are more than two a year, but the two biggest auctions, uh, horse auctions of the year, one just took place at Saratoga Springs, New York about two weeks ago. And uh, there were a lot of, uh, and racehorses are auctioned off, well, at all times in their career, but the biggest ones are, are auctioned off when they're one year old. They're called yearling auctions. And uh, the auction that was held a couple weeks ago, one horse went for over $2 million. A, a one-year-old that one has year never old. raced. And ha for, for what? Why did, did he get so much attention? Why did he? Because of his breeding. His, 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 the sire was a horse named Gunrunner who has won millions of dollars. And the mayor was Malibu Moon, who had a successful career, but has also produced a lot of good horses. Already even yeah. at, a, at, at an older age. Yeah, well, the horses, horses can live to be 25 years old. And so they get—if they're really good, they can, they can produce progeny for quite a while. And so that's the other place where these breeders make money is at these auctions— now, not every horse goes for $2 million. I mean, the average price of a horse at this auction that was auctioned off was about $450,000, I think. But that's still a lot of money. That's a lot of money. That's the, and it's easier money than hauling the horse to the race and going through all of that stuff. Uh, but, but that's where the real money is made, is in the breeding. More money made in breeding than in winning races. Yes. Wow. I really yes, well, but it's all based on, but it's all based on the race winnings on the per performance. Well, uh, is there, there, not all of the are of of the uh, reading is done at no. Well, what happens to racehorses after they stop racing? Well, uh, m some go to steeplechase racing because. 
steeplechase racers are definitely usually older horses anyway, and some make good steeplechase racers. They go to steeplechase. Some become polo ponies, and some can go to, even though a lot of thoroughbreds are too high strung for this, many of them can go to dressage. Or, uh, and uh, but they don't make big. Oh no, these no. But they can, they can have a second career. But but it's but, um, uh, but and and those that aren't don't go to stud can may may find a home. There's a, there's a much more of an effort now than there used to be, to to try and find homes for these oh, horses. Wow. In fact, there's a farm in Kentucky, and there are, there are more than one. But the one in the biggest well known is called Old Friends. And they take some of these horses uh, and basically they buy the horses and the horses are – or they're, maybe they be, they're given the horse by – maybe the owner will give the horse to the old friends. And you can go to this farm in Kentucky and see all these famous it's horses. These, uh, well, well, if you join us late, I'm visiting Will Kerwin. And as you've heard, we're talking about horses and horse racing. And he and I will be right Welcome back to Who's Talking. This is D.G. Martin. We're talking about horses and horse racing and studying and all kinds of things that have to uh, – and uh, how uh, people really make money in the horses. Um, and my guest is Bill Kerwin. Bill's uh, been in Chapel Hill about three years, but before that he he was uh, active first – well, more most recently as the librarian at Western Carolina University, but he's been all over – the eastern part of north of of uh, the United States, working in library work. How did a librarian get interested in horse racing? Well, my father took me to the racetrack <laughs> when I was a teenager, and I got hooked. <laughs> That's the short version. Well, you say you got a connection about North Carolina and horse racing, and I don't know about that because, you know, we can't bet on right. horse races. We can't have a horse race uh, except some yeah. special ones. So, what's the connection? Well, back in uh, the late 17th century, a guy named William Ransom Johnson was born in Warrington, North Carolina. And he came to be known as the Napoleon of the Turf. He, uh, he, his father uh, had a stable of horses— and uh, his father wanted him to go into business, but he fell in love with horse racing, and, and he really made that uh, what he did. He did serve in the North Carolina legislature from uh, 1807 to 1814. Uh, and in, eight, he was, in 1807, he was 24 years old. At some point, he married a woman from Petersburg, Virginia, and he moved to Petersburg, and he moved his racing operation to Petersburg, and uh, he was very, very successful. Uh, in 1806 and 1807, he entered horses in 63 races and won 60 of them and was considered the most knowledgeable person about training and raising and breeding horses in the United States. And he also uh, 
had a lot to say about which horses would be bred because everybody took his word for what a horse was worth. So there are advertisements from that period where a horse is advertised and is recommended by William Ransom Johnson. Well. He all, also was the leader of a group. This is interesting in uh, horse racing history. In the 1820s, there was a rivalry between the North and the South over horses. Uh, there was a racetrack outside New York City, Union Racetrack. Uh, a, a, a race had been held in Washington, D.C., in which a horse from the South won. They, excuse me, the horse from the South didn't win, and the owner asked for a rematch, and the horse that won was from the North, so the, the Northern owner said, okay, we'll have a match race, but it'll be at this track on Long Island. They said, fine. Well, William Ransom Johnson, quickly being a promoter and, and his reputation, this event of this match race quickly became a huge event because he promoted it. And shares were, were formed. They, they formed a corporation in the South, and they formed a corporation in the North, and people could buy shares. And... This was just two horses. Uh, yeah. This is Actually, Andrew Jackson attended this race. He was, at the time, he was acting governor of Florida, which was not part of the union yet. And Millard Fillmore attended the race. He was unknown at that time. And several celebrities attended the race. Anyway, uh, William Ransom Johnson, unfortunately, the, the day before the race, uh, the night before the race, had too many oysters and champagne <laughs> and was sick the morning of the race, so he never made the race. The, the, the race went off. They, in those days, they raced quite differently than now. Anyway, the North, the, 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 the horse from the North won the race. Won again. Yeah. So then the William Ranson Johnson proposed that they race again next year. And uh, so, and he said that uh, the South could enter any horse that was, uh, that, that had been bred South of, the, of course, there was no Mason-Dixon line then, that any horse that was uh, South of uh, Maryland, I believe, uh -huh. but that the Northerners were restricted to horses that were only bred in New York State. Well, the Northerners said, okay, that's okay. We'll do that. And so they had another race in back at the same racetrack, and the Southerners lost again. Uh. So that was really, well, that was the kind of the end. But but those two races were, were the biggest races that were held in the United States until the latter part of the 19th century. And William Ransom Johnson was the Napoleon of the turf. Well, what a great story. Well, now, with all these horses, we think of uh, all the horses that race um, legitimately, they're thoroughbreds. Mm -hmm. And were these... These were these thoroughbreds. All thoroughbreds. Now, but they raced quite differently in those days. In those days, 
And this was very cruel for the horses, quite frankly. The horses ran four-mile heats, and they would run three heats. If you can imagine, they would run 12 miles in a day. And so, so they'd run the first heat, and it was the best two out of three. Oh, gosh. That one that determined the— Well, you'll have to come back and explain <laughs> now. Explain how all this worked out. But, gosh, in the meantime, thank you for getting us, like, excited as you are about horse racing and about the intricacies of it. Okay. And I hope you'll come, be willing to come back and talk some more later I, on. I enjoyed it, DJ. Well, me too. And I, I hope you enjoyed it if you, if you were listening to Bill Kerwin uh, talking about horse racing. And uh, uh, I'll be right back here next, uh, same time next week. Uh, and Bill will be back here soon. Thanks to all of you. <laughs>